0: Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Meninga. In this episode, I talk with Abby Norman. Abby is a writer, blogger, speaker, and local pastor in the United Methodist Church. Also musically featured throughout this episode is John Terry. John is a solo folk artist from Kansas City. You can get connected with Abby and John Terry and their work in the links in the episode description. Like shipbreads on the ocean. Like shipbread on the
1: ocean.
0: Today we have Abby Norman, and Abby is a minister and a mother and a dog mom and uh an Atlanta and you're a recent author. So there's so many things going on. Uh, You recently wrote a book called You Can Talk to God Like That, The Surprising Power of Lament to Save Your Faith. Really wonderful book, and I'm excited to chat a little bit more about it. But before we uh, begin talking about the book, Abby, who is Abby Norman to Abby Norman?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm all the things you said. I am and have always been an intense personality. Um, I am... (laughs) I've been redecorating my house. And so I realized recently I'm I'm the opposite of most millennials. It turns out I'm a maximalist. Oh. <laughs> all the colors, all the patterns. I want all of it all of the time. Yeah. And the mom to two kiddos who we, m- me and my husband committed early in their life to raise them as we called wild and free. Mm. And I joke that if I was going to do it again, I would choose, you know, quiet and compliant because I'm tired. <laughs> But it's also good. They're they're so great.
0: I love that. I love that. So let's talk about the book. Again, I really enjoyed it. And you're a person who has gone to seminary, you've studied theology, so you know a thing or two about theology. But what was it that you learned about theology while you were writing this book?
1: I went to Canlar School of Theology, which is a sort of a unique place because it has 50% of the people there are planning on doing practical ministry. And then 50% are planning on doing academic work. Oh, And so usually seminaries tend to be like practical seminaries or mm-hmm. like, you're going to write books. seminaries. And so at Kindler, we we're all hanging out together all of the time and we butt heads sometimes. And I went back to seminary after 10 years of teaching high school. And I learned in education, like, you really think you're gonna just, you're like, oh, I got this, I understand, I'm gonna be remarkable. And then you get into the classroom and like, you don't know a damn thing. Like Mm -hmm. you fail, like you're, you know, you're like, I would never punish the whole class. I would never yell. And like, within the first week, you're like,
0: if this person doesn't be quiet, I'm gonna give you all homework
1: forever. Like you, because theoretical teaching with like a theoretical classroom is so fun to think about, but like no one in education like is like okay, and then what happens when the kids are hungry, mm-hmm. or like what happens when they're all traumatized or whatever, and so I came into seminary with that chip on my shoulder mm-hmm. and then I started ministering, like I became a student pastor, and so I regularly disrupted classes by being like, that's cute. So I have what okay, so how are you gonna tell that to this person? And I would like describe a situation, you know, like everybody was uh it was very cool and I took a great class, it was brilliant about the history of Christianity in America. And so we mm. started with the Puritans and then we like ended with Joel Olstein. And um
0: Oh, that's an anticlimactic end with Joel Olstein.
1: Oh, it was so good though. I mean, we ended actually, we kind of ended up we ended with like why did the evangelicals love Trump and anyway, and so everyone was like crapping on prosperity gospel, which I am not like a fan of, okay, like I wrote a whole book about how you should tell God and all your people all the horrible things. <laughs> so clearly I'm not. and also they were like, oh was, I don't know why people would believe that, blah, blah blah. and I It was like all 20 year olds whose like parents were paying for their seminary. And I like lost my mind a little bit. And I was like, here are the 25 reasons why the people in my church who are homeless, the majority of the church I was serving was homeless, do. Like, I'm not saying it's good theology. I'm saying I get why they might care about it. And so I always have my eye to that. Like, why do people, I think it's very easy for those of us who, think about God a lot and who are like in the position to go to seminary and to like, as a minister, I get paid to like, think about God. That's wild, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just always try to think about like, okay, Abby, I see in your perfect little theoretical world that that would work. How is that going to work? Like in an actual church in actual America?
0: So you kind of were just kind of touching on this, but why do you think that some people think it's so scandalous or even heretical to yell at God?
1: Well, I think part of it is that we don't trust people with the Bible. Mm. Like we really don't trust people with the Bible. Like I love preaching acts and I'm always like, oh, I'll preach it heavily in the Pentecost during like Pentecost. And I'm always like, you guys, this stuff is wild because it is wild. Like this stuff in there is nuts. And we don't trust people with it. We sanitize it. You know, like we are so good at being like, because I I think that, and I think that's about control. It's like people feel a lot safer in an environment where like, god is in control and god does that through the church and here are the rules and if i just stay in the boundaries like nothing bad will happen and yeah that would be great except for it's not real
0: mm.
1: like that's that's not it and so even today okay so we're in eastertide so everyone always is like eastertide resurrection practice resurrection live into the resurrection woohoo! which yes it's great except for Every single time so far that Jesus shows up to people during Eastertide, they are a disaster. They're totally confused. Like this morning I preached about in Luke 24, it's right after the road to Emmaus. They're literally sitting around talking about the road to Emmaus. Jesus shows up again and they're like, oh my God, it's a ghost, which I love. Because like, I think, and I th- just think American Christianity has been like, it's Eastertide. So resurrection. So just practice that. But if you look at it, Easter Easter Eastertide is actually a time when like, nobody knows what to do with the resurrection and everyone is still confused. And so Jesus keeps showing up and invites people in, into hanging out with Jesus. And then they're still kind of confused, but mm-hmm. they get to eat with him. And I just think like, oh, that's the, you know, coming out of Corona, that's the church we need. That's like, I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I hope Jesus shows up. I hope he's not a ghost. Okay, guys, let's be scared together until Jesus comes. Mm. But that isn't like, that's not sexy. Like, how do you advertise that?
0: So in terms of lament too, like, why, why is it that like yelling at God seems to be this thing that just like people can't get their grip around? Yeah. Like you mentioned that, you know, like not like not trusting people with the Bible is one. Like, is there other, is there anything else around that around like yelling at God?
1: I don't think we trust that enough. Oh, like, I don't know. I don't think we like, there's a reason that that your first big fight is like a huge deal after right with relationships Mm -hmm. or even like friendships. Like there are friendships that I've had where we have like had a major disagreement and then it was like oh we can recover from that like I can trust her even though we fight. And we aren't willing to put all of our weight on onto God's onto our relationship with God like that. Like I love I love that like for this summer jen hatmaker was writing about how mostly her prayers with God were like God I'm not talking to you right now. And God was like, okay, cool. I'm going to sit here. She was like, fine, but we are not talking. And, and like, do you trust that? Do you, do you have, like when we say God will always be with you, do you believe that enough to believe that even when you're cussing him out, like, God will always be with you? Mm-hmm. I think that we, I mean, I think so, but I don't think that you know that until you try it.
0: In the book, you talk a little bit about different kinds of lament. And for people who are oppressed, their laments are a little different than the laments of people who have oppressive identities and privileged identities. So for the latter of those two different groups of people, can you talk about how those laments, they sound a lot like repentance in a lot of ways, which I found really interesting. So can you talk a little bit about the kinds of laments from people who have oppressive identities and why that's so important for them to lament?
1: Yeah. So in the book, I talk about, um, I was raised evangelical and I, I was late. I mean, late to the game of being affirming,
0: Mm.
1: um, and actually didn't become affirming until after I became best friends, uh, with a woman who, uh, is, is a lesbian and has this great wife and, oh my gosh, we love them so much. And But it just took me a really long, long time to like realize, oh my gosh, this actually is hurting people. My beliefs are, are killing people
0: Mm.
1: like that is, that's the truth. Like I believed these things that were causing people to commit suicide and believe that they were deeply unloved by God. And I had to face that because it was the truth. And I think that like as white people, we have to hear, we have to hear people say like, your experience is not my experience. I was 21. 22, when I moved to Atlanta with my husband, we were from the Midwest. We went to Ball State University. It's 98% white. Mm. And then we moved to Atlanta and he became the speech and debate coach at um, Morehouse College, which is a historically black college uh, and it's all male. And I became a high school teacher at the high school that Ludacris graduated from. Oh, no. So we went from knowing like to black people to like hanging out with black people Mm -hmm. all day long. And it was confusing to me. It was confusing to like be the coach, coach's wife. That's what they call me, coach's wife of the team and to travel with them and to have people in gas stations ask me if I was safe because I walked into the gas station with these eight young black men who were like this, I mean, it's the Morehouse Speech and Debate Team. They could, they're like literally the eight smartest black men in the country. I'm like, no, you need to ask them like why they're with me. (laughs) Mm. But like just learning it and just watching it and over and over again, being confronted with the fact that my experience was not their experience and that my ignorance of their experience made it worse. Mm. Because that's the piece that people, that I'm struggling with right now. All right, we went from George Floyd to Dante Wright to Adam Toledo, white people. How many more times do you need a black person to tell you that that they are afraid? How many more times do you, I'm like in the mom blog world, do you need to be told mom to mom that these mothers are scared? That it can't end there. Lament cannot, for people who are the oppressor or have oppressive identities, I like that, the way you said that. We can't stop there. That's not lament. Mm. Like Daniel Tiger gets it right. First you say, I'm sorry. Then you say, how can I help?
0: That's the gospel of Daniel Tiger. I love that.
1: Man, you want to talk about I mean, because, you know, all of Daniel Tiger's stuff is built on Mr. Rogers, right. who was a Lutheran pastor. But like, yeah, first we say, I'm sorry. Then we say, how can I help? And, and lament is both.
0: The reason why I also ask that is, and you're touching on this is, What I love about lament is it seems like this first step. It's clearly not the last step, but it's a really good, important first step. Uh, Reverend Lenny Duncan talks about uh, if we're going to get to this idea of racial reconciliation, we first need reparations and repentance before we get to reconciliation. And it feels like lament is one of those really important steps for people who have oppressive identities, for us to get to that point of reparations and then eventually reconciliation.
1: Well, and it's a matter of admitting, right? I think lament as I as I talk to my black friends, especially my black women friends, they tell me that like defensive white women are just like the most exhausting thing they've ever had in their whole life. So I need to lament to God about my oppressive identity and how I hate it so I can get over my defensiveness, so I can actually do something. Mm -hmm. Like we gotta, I I hear you, I hear you that. White ladies, I I hear you that like you're oppressed too, and 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 we are like come on you guys. I'm a lady minister, like I know about that. I I hear you, I hear you that you feel sad and that you personally don't think you've done anything and blah 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 blah. Okay, well you and Jesus need to work that out so that you can go do actual work to actually bring resurrection into this world.
0: So we've been talking a little bit more about the laments from more of the place of people who have oppressive identities. But you also talk about in the book about the laments of people who are oppressed. And I really think that those laments can change the world. Uh, I live in the Twin Cities, and just last week I was at Dante Wright's vigil. And that vigil really was just a number of prayers of laments from his family and, and local clergy. And I remember thinking to myself, I was, as I was listening in and was at that ritual was that these prayers of lament can really change the world. This really could change the world. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how those kinds of prayers of lament can change the world?
1: Yeah. I mean, that is the most consistent prophetic work of the Bible
0: mm.
1: is like the oppressed people going into public spaces and saying, and this is what I think is powerful about this. And and also has been what's powerful about social media is, is them going into public spaces and saying, I'm gonna say exactly what hurts me, how it hurts me, why it hurts me. So that you can't say that you didn't know. You know, like if you, live in America right now and you're like, well, I don't know why black people would be afraid of the police. It's like, okay, that's not true. You can say, I didn't feel like doing anything about it, but you can't say, oh, I didn't know. Right. I had no idea. And I ignorance is such a white cop-out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It they We love it, especially white women. Like it's, I was shaken to the core. And also saw myself in when the Dante rights killer, Kelly Porter, right? Is that her name?
0: E, that sounds I right. I
1: think it is. When she was like, oh, it was an accident. I thought it was the taser. And in mm. that, I saw every white woman that I've seen try to get out of, of saying, I'm sorry. Well, I didn't mean it. Well, it was an accident. And I think the oppressor loves, loves that cover. Like, I didn't mean it. It was an accident. I didn't know. No one told me. Oops. Yes. Like, I can't be held responsible because, and then there's just like a whole litany of like, it was an accident. I didn't know. Nobody told me. I didn't, I didn't interact with those people. I didn't live in that neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. Public lament me ne- takes that away from us. And I think it's why people hate it. And I think that's why they call it divisive and angry and all the things that they call it. Because what it is, is stripping us of our excuses.
0: One of the reasons why I think prayers of lament are so powerful and can change the world is because, at least from my theological persuasion, I think it actually can change God as well. So I'm really interested in process theology. So I'm really curious, because I think that God is truly affected by our prayers, especially by our prayers of lament, in what ways do you think God has changed or shaped or even influenced by our prayers?
1: Oh, I think God, I absolutely think that God is shaped by our prayers. I am, I'm not, I don't think I'm, a process theologian yet, but I'm definitely headed there. I think you could probably read that in there. Um, the Wesleyan stream, which I'm in like really lends itself.
0: Yeah, (laughs) totally. I mean, there's a reason why there's, you know, historical ties between those two.
1: Yes, there definitely are. And, but yeah, absolutely. God is, I absolutely think that God is affected by our prayers, changes things because of our prayers shows up. And especially because of our lament. And, and I don't know what that is. Like, I don't have a why to that. But I do love the idea in the Psalms where you remind God who God is. Hmm. <laughs> and then God is like, you're, you're right. I, you're right. That's what I said. That's who I said I was. So I guess I'll be that guy. Like, I think it's so great. And I think that God, I don't know. It's so hard right now to be like, yes, like, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, I want desperately to believe that God will change things and that God will change the trajectory of the world and will, you know, soften hearts that I just think are, are beyond being softened and, and like, will give people justice. But I, right now I'm, like I'm with the disciples where it's like, is that Jesus or is that a ghost? Because I don't know, man. And and like, that's just like where where I am. I live in Atlanta and this summer in Atlanta was really intense and hard and beautiful. I also am just like so struck by, especially in Atlanta, it's interesting, there are all these like people who, everybody, every activist in Atlanta wants to claim Um, the mantle of Dr. King Mm. and the people that I find the most compelling are the people who are like, I don't know, man, I'm just, I got this thing going on in this neighborhood right here and we're going to, we're going to work here. And that's, that's where I find Jesus.
0: So for people who are listening, they may be really interested in finally cussing out God. (laughs) Do it. So, what are some practices that you find to be really helpful for one to lament to God?
1: so i I end every chapter with a practice, which I'm sure is because I was an English teacher for ten years, and And that's never coming out of me. And again, like I said, I just am I'm deeply practical, almost to the point of annoyance. Uh, I'm married to an academic. And sometimes he's like, you know, sometimes the theoretical is just like, that's enough. And I'm like, I I don't, okay, but how does it work? He's like, okay. Um, so the Lament Psalms are in the same order all the time. And so I, I start the book with this. I got to be a youth chaplain for juvenile detention center, which is like one of the great privileges of my life. And when our professor of Old Testament taught us that lament psalms go in the same order, there are five parts, we took that to these kids in jail, and we were like, "Hey, we're going to write laments to God." And they were like, "Oh oh, no, you give praise to God." And so we like went through the Bible, and we were like, "Let's see." And so I think that having a formula is helpful because we don't know how to do it. Like, and it's a really ugly cycle. It's like, well, the generation before us didn't do it. So we don't know how to do it because we didn't see it done. So we don't do it. So then everyone around us doesn't do it because they don't see it done. So if you use the formula of the Psalms and seriously, just like Google, like formula for lament, it pops right up. I wrote an open letter to God in the book. That was really fun. I totally recommend that. Mm -hmm. Like just let God have it, write an open letter to God, like throw things, like throw things like find somewhere safe and throw things like do whatever needs to be done. Like if you feel like God, you don't have God's attention, like go drive somewhere and just like scream as loud as you can in a field. Be like, are you even listening to me? Like, Whatever needs to be done, it's allowed. Because if you look at like what the Old Testament prophets did to get God's attention, like, are you gonna lay naked in the middle of the city for six months and then flip over to the other side so everyone can see your sores? Because that's biblical.
0: I was just gonna say, you know, praying naked is one of my favorites. So, (laughs) and it's
1: totally biblical. Like, that's a deeply biblical experience. Like, are you gonna? set fire to a pile of manure in the city so that everyone can know that you think your government stinks because that's biblical I actually think that's a great idea
0: I just need to find some shit and you know Brooklyn Center's not that far from me
1: yes and light it on fire like that is a biblical limit and so there isn't anything that we can come up with that God hasn't already like it's not gonna be too out there for God you're not gonna be too angry that that's not real
0: Oh, the apple of my eye, don't fall far from the tree. Everything you grow up with and everything you try not not to be, rears its ugly head
1: to strike, makes its mark upon your skin.
0: If you feel comfortable sharing, I am curious what you've been lamenting to God lately.
1: Oh, I am really, really irritated. (sighs) Well, okay, I'm going to go systemic and then we go personal. Systemically, I wish God would shake white people up. Mm -hmm. So I live in Atlanta. We love to say that we're the city that's too busy to hate. Uh, that's a lie my kids go to an almost all black school and we live in a predominantly black neighborhood and that has just really shaped the way that i see my city and it is making me so mad like i mean white women that i know that will like put black lives matter signs in their freaking yard won't send their kids to the public school because there are too many black kids like Mm -hmm. i'm like Oh my gosh. Like just take, mm-hmm, stop it either. Black lives matter or they don't. But if they don't then stop, like knock it off. Like I find myself cause I I pastor a very conservative church like me and one other person are probably the only two people who uh, didn't vote for Trump. Like that's where I pastor. Mm. I find those people so much easier to deal with than my well-meaning white liberal neighbors, they make me crazy. (sighs) So I am lamenting to God about that. And I'm lamenting to God about how they, they just make me crazy. Cause I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I thought you said black lives mattered. I thought you meant that. And your actions are telling me that you, you don't mean that or they matter enough, but not enough to not, you know, like they matter, but except when I can like get the advantage for my kid or whatever. So that's on the systemic level I am. And I'm like, God, why can't, because God opened, like, I also recognize that like, I could totally be that girl that that is the trajectory that my life was headed until God interrupted it with this experience of like being the only white lady. Like I hear that. And so I'm like why do, can't you get a hold of them like you got a hold of me? Like what's your deal? Like stop it. So that makes me mad and then personally um I was deferred for for the second time in the United Methodist Church to even go before the board of ordination. Like I can't even get up to the board. And I was very hesitant, like, I'm almost I'm almost 40, like, God, get it, like, I need, I quit teaching to go to seminary, and I was very clear with God, and I was like, I'm not going unless you pay for it. And when Emory gave me, like, three quarters of a scholarship, I walked into the dean's office and said, like, unless you can clear it out, I'm not going. And she did, and so, I'm like, okay, God, you had me. Well, I was a Southern Baptist. So that was hilarious. And then I was like, so mad we were having to change churches and, but it was mostly because I knew I was called and they did not know how to handle that. And I prayed that God would give me a sign and God, the new sign of the church that we ended up at ended up there. Okay. And then I was like, all right, God, this is what it's going to take to get me to seminary. And then God did it. And now, like, I can't get a full-time pastor job and I can't get, like, past ordination. Like, are you Mm. freaking kidding me? God, I'm tired. Like, I have kids. Like, (laughs) I need some help here. Mm. And so, like, I'm only half-time employed next year. And I don't, that's not going to cut it for my family. And I don't know where that's coming from. And I, like, didn't get an interview at a job that I thought it would be perfect for. Mm. (sighs) <sighs> so, yeah, I'm pretty hauled off at God, that God would call me into a system that, that is seriously jacking me around.
0: Off of that conversation, it might be tough to answer this question, but I am curious, how is, uh, you can talk to God like that, inspiring and liberating theological work?
1: I think it gives people permission, like just the title, like it it gives people permission to have a more expansive relationship with God. Mm. I think that it gives people permission to be more honest and truthful about who they are and how they feel and like what they're going through. And one of the things that I hope that it does that I think could really be powerful theological work is it gives people permission to say, you know what? I was wrong about that. That thing that I thought or believed, that's not it. And it hurt people and I'm sorry. And how can I make it right? Like we're so It's amazing to me how we can in one breath be like, God loves you no matter what. And then in the other breath, just like go after somebody because their theology is different than ours. Like I, 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 has pastoring in places where we are not on the same page theologically. And then I still invite them to the table and then they come and then we're like break bread together. That's amazing. And I want more of that. But if we're going to get more of that, then we have to be able to say, like, I think that I'm right and I'm trying the best I can. But if I'm dead wrong, then God loves me anyway. And if we had theological fights that started like that, I think that they would be totally different.
0: So before we started uh, recording, I told you how much I love this book cover. And you said that there is an incredible book cover story you have to tell me. So here's your chance, Abby. Tell me about this incredible book cover story.
1: Okay. So I was like, when we started talking about the cover, they were like, we want your face on it. I was like, no. (laughs) They were like, no, no, no. We want your face on it. And I was like, dude, I don't know if that's a good idea. And they were like, trust us. We are the book people. And I was like, okay. So I called my friends and she shot all these great pictures of me in the pulpit. And, and then there were like funny ones where I was like, had my hair like hands and prayer hands, but like one of them was like flicking off God. I like really liked that one.
0: That needs to be your new Twitter profile picture, by the Isn't way.
1: That That's great. Isn't that good? Isn't I thought I was so smart. I was like, Hey, this is funny. And my, you know, the people were like, oh, mm-mm. And, or like me, like rolling my, I'm like praying And I was like behind, there was a stained glass window behind me, but I was like rolling my eyes. Like I had all of these different ideas. So, and she took like all of them. We did serious ones. We did funny ones, blah, 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 blah. And then I sent the file to the people, or rather I should say, I sent what I thought was the file. (laughs) Because earlier that year, I had around a fire at the Wild Goose Festival with Micah Murray he and I were just like talking about me being a pastor and how wild that was. And he was like, Oh, you should take photos of yourself. But like, like 1950s pinup girl, but also you're in a collar. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And so I like, we did that. Like I, I, um, I like found some vintage clothes to borrow. I like did my, I mean, I had like a bump in my hair, like the whole (laughs) thing. I looked absolutely 1950s. And then I was like wearing an apron and had the collar on and was like breaking the communion bread. I like just like the, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like I was, I had this, you know, those, like the big pulpit Bibles, Mm -hmm. like had one of those open in my lap and I have like a big, like, Oh my goodness. And I like my and my finger is on my lip and my mouth is wide open. And I'm like, oh, like, it's just like silly, like totally silly to sort of poke fun at like the idea that like, it's still hard for people to grapple with the idea that women are pastors. And I accidentally sent that whole file to them. I was like blowing kisses to like the white Jesus picture. Like they were they were ridiculous. And they didn't say to me like, are you sure these are, are these what you meant to send? They were like, yeah, great. Got them. Love them. And then a month later they sent me the file and they were like, here's your book cover. And it was me slung over the pulpit with like my back leg up. And I'm like, I like have my like red fingernails was wearing fake nails. We're like, like, um, per- I was, like, perched on the pulpit, and I was, like, no! Nah! And they were really, like, yeah, we love it. This is great. And I was, like, no. So then they came up with the other one, which is 100% better. But it was really embarrassing, and I'm, like, trying really hard to, like, name my files better now.
0: Well, I'm I'm just saying, if that iCloud <laughs> folder got leaked... I would be curious to see what kind of crazy ideas you had going oh, on. I'll
1: send it to you. Oh, like, I would love I have to. it. I'll send it to you. It's ridiculous. We
0: yeah. could maybe use one of them as the graphic for this episode too.
1: If you really want to, <laughs> I'll let you.
0: It'd be awesome. It'd be fun. So <laughs> last question, Abby, how can listeners get connected to you and your work?
1: Yeah, I run my mouth a lot on Twitter. I am Abby Nor- at Abby Norman says. Um, I'm also that on Facebook and Instagram. I have a sub stack that I should probably get back to. It's also Abby Norman says, um, as soon as I get down to one job, then maybe I can do the one job and the writing. But yeah, and I have been told that I am more interactive than most people. So seriously, hit me up and I will respond to you.
0: you yeah, you definitely are interactive on Twitter. Where can uh, listeners get... The book?
1: Anywhere books are sold. So if you are boycotting Amazon, you can get it on Barnes & Noble or IndieBooks, our bookstore.com. Uh, it is available on Amazon or you can go right to the Broadleaf uh, website.
0: Great. Awesome. Well, it was so great to connect with you, Abby. Again, I really love the book. It's one of those ones that I definitely will be sharing with lots of friends because I think it's that important. So thank you so much for chatting a little bit more about it. Thanks. Sometimes
1: it feels like little pieces of you
0: are a If you'd like to connect with Abby and John Terry and their work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon, at patreon.com forward slash mason menega and remember friends go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates In my dream, saying might be hard to hear, but i know